Go. Just like that. What's up? What's up, guys? Uh, what up? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you two. What up, Greg? What's going on? Me? Yeah. Wow. I know. Greg, hit us with a yo. 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 Oh, my voice cracked. That wasn't, that wasn't, a, <laughs> that wasn't that a glitch. Wasn't a glitch. <laughs> no. That was a straight voice crack. Yo. It's something, you know, we're recording this. It's The days are getting shorter. You know, I'm thinking back to like when we would do these in the summertime. Mm-hmm. At this time, that's I'd be competing with light shining in the room, but now it's it's dark here. You know, uh, I was walking in my neighborhood with my kid yesterday, and there was leaves falling off a tree, and they were yellow. And this is not a common occurrence here uh, in Orange County, California. You know, there's a lot of evergreen trees, and it's pretty temperate climate all year. And I was like, when I grew up there was fall because we lived in Albuquerque and I was like, you could see the leaves change color and then they would fall off the tree. And in winter, all the trees would be bare. And he's like, and like your kids have never seen it. They've never seen it. How about snow? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We've been in snow once. Okay. The first time my wife ever saw snow fall from the sky was like three years ago in Vermont. Cause she grew up in Arizona and she's okay. like, there's snow falling out of the sky. What? It was so crazy to watch her like wonder. And Dude, that's, get- that's how I feel. Every time I listen to manic compression. Ah. Full of wonder. Full of wonder. And it's like the first time snow fell. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. Anyway, Jason, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about Revelation Records number 43, the Manic Compression LP, released on Island Records. Revelation did the vinyl, so we get a chance to talk about it. Uh, You know, I wasn't here for the whole interview. No spoilers. I had to duck out. I don't don't remember why, but y'all and... I think you had to teach uh, a class. Yeah, Tony Tony Pops. Education is paramount. It is, yeah. So y'all and Tony Pops had to, uh, you know, go on without me. I don't remember if it was brought up if chronologically this is actually 43. Because you know how sometimes Rev will put like, like go back and kind of put stuff in. So chronologically, did this come out after the 2B Free 7 inch? Well, I'm going to say no, because Mm. the Civ, the Civ LP was 41. Right. Mm-hmm. And that came out summer 95. This came out February of 95. But maybe the vinyl didn't come out until later. So maybe it is right in order. Like, because you, you got to keep in mind in the, in the 90s, a major label, well, in this case, Rev was doing it. Like, the vinyl was such a low priority that, you know, the release date was this is when we had the CDs and then the tapes. So, I mean, for all we know, the vinyl could have been delayed and not come out until the summer. I don't know. Sure. If anybody listening remembers, you know, um, but I feel like, no, didn't, didn't, when we did the playlist challenge, didn't Tony, uh, didn't pop say that he remembers getting it. It was winter. So it probably came out at the same time. I want to so. say it came out in October. Why do I think that? You know, it's uh, February. Okay. But the vinyl. I had it. Yeah, yeah, vinyl and then the CD. And I only own this on cassette currently. I used to own the white a white vinyl copy. 
And uh, now I just came out February 28th, 1995. But it's weird because there's also like a 94 dated promo version on Discogs, like a vinyl. So who knows, man? Somebody, if you know. Hey, yo. The cassette says copyright 1994 polygram, copyright 1995 yeah. island. Hmm. Weird, right? Weird. So yeah, who knows? Weird. You know, I have some other uh, chronology shinfo, but I'm going to save that until after the interview because I know people are just dying to get into the interview. But before <laughs> yeah, that, a big one. is there anything that we need to? I Jason? Do. Yeah, what do you yeah. got? I want to uh, just bit a bow our gracious co-host, GSD, Greg Pollard. He does an awesome job with scheduling these interviews. Thank you. Yeah, Taking rough. the time to mm-hmm. organize. Uh, it's, it's like a lot herding of work. cats. It's like it's a lot cats. Like, it's a lot like being a booking agent, straight mm-hmm. up. So just if anyone that is listening that maybe doesn't know the work that goes into it, it's a lot of work. It is a so, lot of work. And and. There are people on multiple coasts, sometimes multiple countries. Yeah. Um, Even the three of us are three hours apart. And then at one point I was six hours apart from you two. And uh, we've interviewed Roger Kishore, a.k.a. Vic Takara, who was like nine hours. ahead of us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys. It is. It is a lot of work. And, you know, mm. trying to make the, you know, and and I guess I just want people to know that anybody you've thought of for an episode, like, you should get so-and-so. Why didn't you get You've Civ? already thought of that. Why didn't yeah. you get Civ for the Civ episode, you guys? <laughs> it's right there in front of your face. It's in the band name. Why didn't you do it? We, we you know, we try and and sometimes scheduling just doesn't work out because the other thing, I don't know if people have noticed, we have, we've been light on the detours. We've been trying to. Um, we're trying to. We were actually out. talking right before we reported that we're we're on par, you know, to finish the year with basically every week there being a new um, re- re- release discussion. So, yeah. and it does. It's 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 a it's a lot of work, but yeah. these guys. I mean, you know, not to toot their horns, but Javier with the editing, mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't do that and jason of course with the illustrious graphics and videos thank you um you know so yeah so Everyone plays to you part. guys too yeah i i wanted to give i forget if we mentioned it on the episode but if you've noticed we have a new hot track stinger um i think it debuted in the walter episode i wanted to give a bit of bow to uh J- our friend jeremy uh Chatelaine, or as we like to say, Jeremy Chatelain. Chatelain, um, Chatelain. from Insight, Handsome, Jets to Brazil, Cub Country, Iceburn. Uh he made it and uh it's it's I loved it. The second I heard it, I was like, this is awesome. So much appreciated. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you guys get a kick out of it listening too. I just have one uh bit of bow, which I have bit of bowed a few times before. And uh, so we're doing this manic compression episode and just so happens that quicksand just played here. Right. Did you guys, did that show happen for you guys yet? It's coming up in real time. 
Sunday nice. for me. So, so, so to put this, to date this, uh, it's Tuesday. I think Jason has it tomorrow, right? Yeah, I'm going to go tomorrow, October 27th. And then I have Sunday, Halloween, uh, is the last day of the tour. Yeah, I did I already, I don't, I might have already been about this, but Carlos from No Echo covered the Quicksand oh, yeah. show. Did I say this on the podcast? I I mean, like, can ne- we can never. No. Yeah, yeah. So you can never bid a boom so, enough. He does so awesome. So Carlos threw some shine on the show at the Troubadour. Uh, there's some photos by a guy called Greg Flack. And I think Carlos, well, Carlos was live streaming it. And I think I was in Hawaii at the time. And I watched a little bit of it. And uh, it was great. So just want a bit of bow, no echo for all that they do. And uh, I don't think that I... I don't think I've had anything else this week. Uh, just want to also want to dig in that I listened to the newest episode of 185 miles south as uh, highly recommended to me by Jason Mazzola. And it was fucking hilarious. Yeah. That show is great. (laughs) And I just want to throw it out there that if they ever want me to play guess the 25 to life lyric yeah i would kill it i would kill it i i i even text ben merlis and i was like i'm really shocked that you, nobody knew what these lyrics were because yeah as soon as they played i was like oh yeah, yeah. i know that because i'm wise to the game i know that yeah i Next. know all i mean I, I but i i like those songs and i and i know the words to the songs so i but i i will go toe to toe with probably almost anyone uh, we're over 25 to life. Lyrics, Is this a so. challenge? Hey, I'm just saying. Huh? Throw, throw, what, throw 25 to life challenge. Put me in coach. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's a real challenge. Anyway, boy, I think it's time to kick it. What do you think? Let's kick it. Kick it. Yo, should I kick a yo? Yo. Yeah, we don't I have Ryan here today. We already said it in the beginning of the episode, but we are here today. I cannot believe how th- it, this does look like the Brady Bunch on our Zoom screen because not only do we have the usual where it went team of me, Greg, and Jason, but we have our one of our favorite surprise co-hosts, Anthony Papalardo, joining us today. And then we are joined by, I mean, do we call this? All the members of Quicksand, currently, it's a pretty pretty strong uh, group right here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that Stephen Brodsky is touring with you, right? Yep. Steve is is touring with us, and uh, it's sounding great. And uh, it's such a great fit. He's doing doing an amazing job, and it's it's really yeah. He's he's fantastic. Such a cool hang and an amazing musician. Uh, yeah. So, we're really grateful to have him along with us, man. It's 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 yeah. awesome. Footnote: uh, Steve, growing up eight miles from me, I feel very represented now. So that's very cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, that rules. Yeah, it's cool to have. Like uh, our joke is that um, 
he's going to uh, like, he's going to protect us from the Boston guys, you know, the Boston, New York thing. Yeah. Smart. And, uh, <laughs> and then but, the move. <laughs> but he's a mole and he's going to take it. He can be a sleeping style too. We don't know. Yeah, he can, <laughs> he can go into Pacino mode real easily, that guy. If you so. guys just happen to be in Tompkins Square on a Saturday night, you know, when <laughs> Austin comes around, you got Steve Brodsky to be like, no, these guys are cool. Yeah, my uh, is more like he's a mole, like, and uh, it's just a long con. He's just, like, luring <laughs> us to just fuck up, like, we're just going to get jumped exactly. in Boston now. Boston's not the first night of the tour, is it? Yeah. Boston's oh, the first. Pop. Is it real? Oh, that's not that for con. sure. Brodsky's on the long con Jason what are we doing here today what are we talking about Uh, today we're pumped because we get to talk about Manic Compression a record that we all love that just kind of slid through the radar because it has the rev star on it and they released a vinyl and so uh, we're joined by Walter Allen and Sergio so thanks for joining us Um, thanks for having us Rev 43 yeah. I wanted to know because I understand how things were from my perspective in 1995, but I don't understand how they were from a band that's touring and putting out music in 1995. So can you explain the landscape from your point of view to Walter? Uh, in, in what in what sense? Like uh, just like what was going on in music or? Uh, yeah. Um, I guess it was kind of... Um, uh you know you could kind of peg it to nirvana um nirvana's on their second record so it's just a different different vibe the um and and we uh we were coming with you know i i mean it's hard to say it's the 90s it was awesome just cool stuff <laughs> yeah. happening all the time <laughs> well what what about as a band so going from like you know a club band right like diy band then you're you have the slip mode. You do your tour cycles, and now you know what did you kind of like learn through that experience, or maybe call um, that you thought, okay, now we're going to bring it. Like you're making a new record, but you're bringing all that experience with you. You know, from kind of like the like the major label world, or uh, or just like a larger stage. And you're like, oh, maybe we want to think about how these songs are going to translate on a stage. We want to write differently. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think, you know, like that experience probably did something. I guess to, to make sense of what I was saying about Nirvana is like, so Nirvana made this record that was really cool and really popular and really amazing. And then they kind of went back and kind of, kind of retracted on that a little bit and kind of went with Steve Albini and, you know, kind of wanted to go back to their like indie roots. I think in some ways, at least from my perspective, you guys might've saw it different, but like wanted the record to be like, more aggressive, more, um, I don't know if hardcore would be the right word, but just more aggressive, like listening, I was really listening to Blast and stuff like that. I wanted to like, rather than go like more poppy, I think, in my mind, I wanted, I was thinking we should go like more aggressive. And, but in the end, I think we ended up doing, doing it all anyway. Like, I think there's like lots of melodic stuff, but I don't know. That was my take. What, what was your, what did you guys think? I mean, I think for myself, that was like a time of listening to like, still like a lot of like Swerve Driver, the beta bands, a lot of, a lot of uh, even like Bjork and stuff and just kind of having fun expanding uh my uh palette um in terms of like effects and tones and so i think that um as far as like 
creating like uh, a template or, or a palette to work with, uh, there was a lot of inspiration for using more effects and using more things. And it, I didn't think as much as like what would come out from my perspective, it was more just getting the sounds together and having those things happen and just kind of, you know, letting it fly the way that the way that we're want to do. Yeah, I think so for that record as a as a listener, what immediately hit me is it had a it had a different urgency, but then also it really spreads, right? Like the the first record feels super focused in a moment. And then this one's noisier. There's almost like I'll say mosh parts, right? Like there's some mosh parts in a couple of the songs, but they're not hardcore songs either. It's a very like expansive pastiche of all these different sounds. And to the title, it feels like a very manic record in that it jumps around and sort of uh, creates this new moment. And I, I was wondering like how intentional that was or if it was just song by song, like this is cool, let's record it. This is cool, you know, um, because it is very, I guess expansive is the best best way, but focused at the same time. Yeah, which I guess that's a play on the title in in a sense, right? Manic compression. Yeah, it's all over the place, but it's very cohesive. I, I think it was um the thing I like about the record that's kind of cool that makes it cohesive is this sort of um, noisiness to it that there's almost like you know like skinny has these like little. Um, like just kind of trying to get a, um, a quarter inch cable into uh, into the jack of the guitar and just like turning that into something um, or like, you know, there's just sort of these like this sort of scratchiness and, and uh, feedbacks and noise across the entire thing um, that I think kind of ties all of the um, all of all of the songs together in, in a lot of the same way as like the artwork does like the artwork has this sort of like roughness to it um you know where these these three guys and someone's heart's getting ripped out and it's just it's kind of cute but kind of like disturbing in a way and i think that there's like something like that in the record too where there's um th there's also like you know these kind of like moody songs but um but there's like also just pop kind of moments that I that I think we couldn't help but doing, and I think from a sonic aspect, I think that was was pretty important. But I do, I love the, the the references that Sergio was talking about. Like we were listening to a wide variety of stuff too, like Beta Band. I haven't thought of them in a long time, but that was really hot at that moment. And uh, and for sure, Swerve Driver were a fave. I, I think they had maybe put out Mescal Head at that point, maybe. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I think so. Yeah, and Rays. I think that was the only ones they had at that point. Yeah, yeah they had that, but I think I think for around Manic Compression was Muscal Head. Yeah. So they were, they were kind of like doing their, they had their development. They kind of like, and, uh, you know, they were to me like the British Dinosaur Jr. in a way. Yeah. Like, totally. Like, and and they uh, had put in our like, in what kind of we were sort of trying to do is having that like shoegaze element, but still maintain that rock. Not that we mm -hmm. were rock, but you know what I mean? We were like, had some sort of aggressiveness to our music that, you know, wasn't like ride. Listen, yeah. we're definitely to like dance hall and reggae, like like 90s dance hall and reggae a lot at that time. There's a lot of things in this. There are a lot of ingredients in this dude. <laughs> you know, before, um, before I become Tony the talker and ask too many questions, I just want to throw this one out there that, uh, 
maybe you could talk about the choice to work with Wharton Tears. And I think, you know, for a lot of listeners, just to kind of backtrack for a minute, Wharton Tears being part of the no wave scene in New York and working with bands that are kind of like underground bands, but from a totally different genre than hardcore. I thought that was a super interesting choice. And obviously you hear it sonically, but, you know, just anything about that experience, the choice to work with Wharton and Sorcerer Studios, all that, but I'm just super curious to hear whatever. <laughs> uh, Wharton was cool because, um, I mean, we probably mostly wanted to work with him because Hel he had worked with Helmet. Yeah, and I was, so was thinking. <laughs> you know, like the No Wave connection was awesome, but I think that was, he had done, what did he do? Did he do, he did Meantime, right? I believe so. And strap, I know he did strap it on. He did strap it on, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. And uh, that's why we wanted to work with him. Um, and uh, I loved him. I thought he was such a cool guy. We, I remember being at his, at his place uh, in, the, in the East 20s, like where we were doing like some later tracking at his studio where he had recorded strap it on. Uh, and um, just playing catch with him in his backyard. Uh, Jay Maskus lived upstairs, so Jay came down a couple times and just, you know, he just had a great energy. And uh, I saw him a few years ago. He lives in Williamsburg and uh, still just cool, so laid back and, and chill. I don't know, Alan, you, what do you remember working with Wharton? Is Alan still here? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. No, I thought he was cool. I, I mean, I think like the weird thing is that record, I don't think of it as being anyone, like, I mean, whoever is listed as producer, it was kind of like a mishmash. Yeah. Um, like Wharton, you know, we started recording with Wharton and then I can't remember somebody, there was like a big rock uh, kind of guy who mixed it. And I mean, we had, I think we had like disagreement over whether it sounded good or not, the mix. And we wound up going back to Don Fury. And I think that's part of the play on Manic Impression too, because Don used like ADATs at that point. And it was like taking this two inch tape and putting it to ADATs. Yeah. And so we were just like, we were just all over the place. Like we couldn't decide on who was making the record and the songs are great. But like, I feel like what it actually came out sounding like was just like a combination of those people, you know, and yeah, like kind of not very intentional. It was just like a, a mixture of the people we worked with on it, but the songs mm -hmm. I, I think just shine through it. One, yeah, yeah, like right. Isn't that kind of sound like the sound of the record, manic impression? It's like yeah, super impressed, and it's like <laughs> fucking all over the place. Yeah, you know? that's what I was going to ask. Is if the if the record was titled after it was recorded, you sat down and listened to it, and then you thought this record's going to be called Manic Compression? Or if you I had mean, it seems like more like a subconscious thing, right? You guys, oh, I mean, you no, know, it was absolutely not. It was like, what the hell? <laughs> all this record, it sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, obviously, it's a play on compression, but it's like manic compression. It's like manically compressed, and I remember I the songs also were kind of manic and like you know, like they they just the like they went they really like kind of like ran all over the place. Some of them were like these tight little nuggets, and other ones were like sprawling. Some of them were very pop, and then I we also didn't we leave like we kind of like left the most obvious kind of single on the record off. Oh, yeah, that was right. I was going to ask about Shovel. Shovel. I, mean, I loved that song. And I was like, come on, that's the single. And everybody's like, it's not going on the record. And I was like, okay. So I know Norman's, Norman's happy. Like, we talked to him about the antimatter comp a while back. And yeah. I know he's happy it was left off because he got to have it on the comp. But, yeah, I, I 
I was wondering what what the thought I mean, process I think, was. I think that ties into what Walter was saying about just being, you know, like, I mean, it was the most obvious single. So given the times, like, of course, just leave it off the record. Yeah. <laughs> that solves it. Like my state of mind was like in the divorce backwards, like uh, sort of thing. Yeah. Like I, I, I was really into, we really loved this band called, um, uh, who was the band with Eleven Teen? Was their album uh, Daisy Chainsaw? Daisy Chainsaw were were a big uh, influence at that time. So just like wanted it to be like scratchy and, uh, for lack of a better word, like I don't know, not shitty, but something like that. And I mean, uh, frantic, frantic, and always seemed like on the precipice of like, uh, like, like I forget the singer's name, but she was always like on a precipice of like some sort of breakdown, and everything yeah. was real. The music, I think it was name the the guitar player's name was Crispin something and yeah, the, the, uh, the, Katie Jane, Katie Jane Garson or something, Katie Jane something. It was it was just savage and very exciting. Yeah, great definitely that definitely informed us, and um, yeah, it was interesting because I remember working with Wharton and and like it was when I was starting to get really interested in recording and the fact that he was using one inch tape was really cool to me and the fact that like. I went in and, and all you care and the effort that we went into like the bass rig and all of the equipment. I have pictures from there where- but Didn't they record it somewhere? Didn't they record most of the tracks at like Magic Shop or somewhere? Yeah. Like we only did a couple of extras. I think, I think it's a full mix. I think there's some songs that were recorded at Magic Shop, some that were recorded in Wharton's basement, and then maybe even one or two that were recorded in Don's basement. Yeah. I think it's ours were done. I don't think I don't remember. Oh, maybe no Don's on that one. Maybe that was from the record before. I remember more that uh I mean I could be wrong, but I remember like doing some guitars there. Like, didn't you do guitars, some guitars at Don's, Walter? I remember, yeah. I mean, it was a, like Alan used the right word, it was a mishmash. I think we were just like kind of didn't have like we're, we're on the on slip, we went away to this like farm up in uh, Massachusetts. And we're very much like, here's your time, here's your space, like record it. Well, we also had a couple of tracks that went, were from Don's, track that Don's on Slip. That's true. So even, yeah. I guess even from I guess that- they're all mishmashes, except for the last two, we're like solid with Will. Yeah. <laughs> Will is just like, we just get in, we do it. No like Will is staying, we're not gonna run out on you. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, but if I remember correctly, we we did the we like the idea was we we like I don't know why we didn't want to record at Wards. Maybe it was because of the one inch tape or something. But we went. He he went with us to Magic. Was it Magic Shop? I don't think yeah. it was Magic Shop. I think it was like Sorcerer. It was someplace where they had one of those downtown yeah. spots, like yeah. a real legit downtown yeah. big room spot, right? Yeah. And then then we might have done some extra stuff at his place somehow. Maybe he brought in a two-inch machine or I don't know. And then we went to like a legit mix spot and had this like kind of like 70s hit maker type of mixer. Do yes. it. We were in there mixing and like we just didn't agree on whether it sounded good or not. And I think the outcome was just like it went to Don's, bounced down, and then we mixed it at Don's, right? Yeah. Because I remember, I remember sitting in the car. I forgot the guy's name as well. Like I remember going to visit him and do the mixes, and we'd sit in his car after, and he'd blast them, and and then kind of just being like, it, it felt like such, um, it was such a new world in a sense. You know, I mean, we had a really dramatic impression, but working in this way, 
I feel like it was like in midtown Manhattan and just sitting in this guy's car and hearing his mixes at the time. He had legit radio hits with like 70s bands or something, right? Like, I don't yeah. remember who, but. I cannot speak. Him mixing on the NS10s like so fucking loud. loud. Yeah, yeah. Like, you out. like my memory is you got like just freaked out in the mix. Like yeah. you couldn't hear it. You didn't think it sounded good. And then you were just like, fuck, I don't know this guy. I don't know what we're doing. Let's go to yeah. Don. You know Don. I, I, uh, I definitely did not. He was a nice enough guy, but he was like listening so fucking loud. I was like, how can you possibly be hearing this shit? Like, it's just too fucking loud. I think you're, you know, I, I don't know what to say any bad, bad about a guy that I can't even remember his name. He was probably a nice guy. Uh, but yeah, I was freaked out. The thing is with Don, uh, there was a certain... Um, like a baseline quality and working relationship that um, I think I was probably like clinging to pretty, pretty hard when I felt like out of my depth. And uh, if things felt like I didn't get it, then the stakes were high that I would probably just want to be someplace where I knew like, Hey, this might not be um, electric Ladyland, but we're, you know, we're going to come out with something basically good. And I think, you know, this record, like with all, like, as we're talking about it, all the different stages and kind of back and forths with it, like when it was all said and done, somehow it kind of like had a quality that um, Sergio said it, I think, uh, was a cool quote that I really liked is that, that it's the uh, injustice for all of hardcore. Where <laughs> <laughs> tweaked. <laughs> It, it definitely had its own thing. Like it wasn't like anything else. And I think what's funny is because it was such a mishmash, I don't know if any of those guys would, would own it as sounding like what they, them as a producer. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it didn't sound like if we had gone to Don Fury's and recorded yeah. it there and mixed it, it would have sounded different. If we mm -hmm. had gone with Wharton, it would have sounded different. None of those guys probably thought it sounded like what they were trying to accomplish. Uh, I remember I that's kind of why it sounds so like its own thing. Like no other record kind of sounds like that thing. I remember in stages, both of them tripping for their own reasons. And then I remember like, uh, I remember when I went to go see Don and he had, he had uh, transferred everything over to ADAT and I was like super stoked because I had finished my bass and I was really happy because it was all like, you know, I have this huge rig and, and effects and everything. And he's like, yeah, I, I put all the stuff into ADAT and I rolled off all that nasty low end. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, that's my world. But then it's like, just such a crazy idea. Like two inch tape is so expensive and studios <laughs> with like Studer machines, like those things were so temperamental. They had to be like fixed every day. That's why those places cost so much. So we mm -hmm. bought like all that stuff went on this hyper expensive two inch tape and be paid whatever they record company paid whatever per day at like a big ass like downtown Manhattan studio. And then it just went to like the newest digital format that was like, mm -hmm. I don't know, probably like his machine cost what like a couple of rolls of tape cost. But what I what I what I'll say is is that like the beauty of perspective is is that for whatever we think or thought at the time and everything we were going through, like I listen back to that record and I go, man, I fucking love it. Some people love yeah. the way it sounds too. Like I've seen people who just like, <laughs> think it sounds like a masterpiece, which is kind of interesting. It definitely doesn't sound like another record. I do too. I think it's like however, however it came together and all everything that it took to get there it was definitely like a winding road. But it was. It's like I listen back to it and I go, "Wow, this is. It's got a thing." 
yeah, at, at the like, time when you finished it. it's like some weird you know like like if you were trying to make a lo-fi record it wouldn't sound like that it would sound um, yeah, it doesn't sound lo-fi it sounds expensive uh, but just crazy. i don't know what it sounds like a thing <laughs> when Man, you finished it was fast. everyone kind of fried or were you happy with it or was it just kind of like i need to be done with this and let's I think keep I was it moving happy it was done. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was happy it was done, and I felt that it had um, enough good songs on it that it was going to be a solid album. I, I, I didn't know um, that it was like the ultimate thing that we could do, but I felt like, yeah, there was just a grip of songs that I felt real confident in. And we, you know, we just had a cool chemistry at that time. And I, and I, and I liked how it all kind of, um, yeah, like it all kind of like gelled together, you know, through these, there's some really kind of interesting um, you know, which I think is something we've really re revisited effectively, especially on interior interiors, but some like interludes that are kind of kind of cool. And I, when I listened to them, uh, I was listening to the record at some point um, over the summer or something. And I was like, damn, that's cool. How did we do that? That's pretty, pretty dope. Um, but yeah, I mean, all that money that we spent at like Sorcerer Sound just to like bounce it down to a fucking VCR tape, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, we could have definitely done a pretty similar record just at Don Fury's in the basement for like four thousand yes. dollars. Yes, it was. It was, you know, it was. It was a, a wild ride. Sometimes. In in another um in another universe, we could have just stayed with the plot and finished up, but um, it just yeah. what it was, and and it created a certain energy, and um, yeah, exactly. You know, that's and that's perfect. Because there's so, no guarantee that would have been cooler. If we made just like oh. a slick record or anything, there's no guarantee. Uh, this this to me is like is uh, has way more um, feel for conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one other you know, an arc. There's no record sound like that. You know what I mean? And it has a, it has a, very much a, a character for us over the course of our um, you know out of after our four records and all this other kind of stuff. I think it has a very unique thing to it that is uh you know stands out well it's kind of like uh if you think like some of the greatest painters the end product might be very like formed but you don't see all the layers behind it right you, you know that thing had been worked on like a franz klein it's like four very bold lines but that thing had been worked on for and also new york related which i like but you know that had been worked on for a year and it's just yeah. it's the same kind of thing like had you have gone to Don's, it would have sounded totally different with the exact same songs if you didn't have this process. Um, one other quick question. Was there anything you enjoyed or, you know, anything different about instead of being in one space in Massachusetts to make a record versus being able to like go home and decompress and like, that must have been a very different process. And, you know, was it good or bad, I guess? It's both, man. You like... Uh, you, for me, you I know, think it was probably wash like you get you get more focused you, you know like you can definitely like you're kind of just there for a thing when you go away to do something you look it's a little more distracting being at home but it's also pretty cool to be able to go home and sleep in your own bed i don't know why we decided to do it that way i, I don't remember the only what we did in new york actually because we did i mean that and the the ep because we did the other one in massachusetts and these two we did in philly and then i was gonna say then he came here yeah. yeah, the only one recorded in New York that's uh, it's got mm -hmm. some of the frenetic craziness of the city. <laughs> yeah. So I was always wondered 
was then, I guess, I feel like I might already know the answer, but was the way the track listing went, like, of course it was deliberate because when you make a record, you're sequencing, but like how it's like, like, did you say like, hey, we're going to do like, you know, because it starts with backward and then you got delusionals like slower. Then divorce is like another one that's just real short and fast. It almost seemed like every other song was either like, one of the fast aggressive ones or one of the more expansive ones was that something like kind of early on you knew like hey we should sequence the record like this i don't think so i think we always did didn't we always i'm pretty sure all these records were sequenced after like we weren't thinking about the order until we knew what we had right yeah Yeah. it would be one like whatever however it came out we were probably trying to like that, you know, keep people's interest basically. So like a lot of the time that'll be through contrast, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're expecting, you know, the first song is backwards, which is like some sort of crazy like song really. And it's pretty fast and aggressive sounding. And then uh, I think it goes right into delusional. Mm -hmm. That's the second one, which yeah, really switches gears. And then I don't know what the third one is, but it's probably just, you know, trying to like divorce, divorce. divorce. Okay. Do we accidentally uh, make like the Pixies, like a Pixies song into like an album? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's the dynamic like that. Um, I forgot. I saw something about the Pixies the other day and I forgot how influential the Pixies were for us at that time, too. Like yeah. Maybe oh, yeah. more so on Slip, but I remember like just loving them at that time. Oh, nice. I still do. Yeah, but I think with album sequencing, it's like like they were saying, you have your you have your songs, and now you have the uh, thing of giving them the best chance to sound interesting and giving the work as a whole the best to sound interesting. You can some have people who do it ahead of time, though. Some people huh? think that I think there's some people who go in recording an album fully thinking like ahead of time what the sequencing might be. Yeah, and I'm sure that. That there are people who have success with that, but uh, you know, I I can say I don't know I don't know anyone that's done it that way, or I've never experienced that in any situation. I imagine Pink Floyd did it. No, <laughs> Boston did or it. Like that Radio first Boston Head. record was like that thing was calculated. For, I just listened to a podcast with Tom Schultz, and he talked about how he had that sequence for six years or something. Which wow, <laughs> yeah, he had a sequence or any like concept <laughs> record that's like. <laughs> telling a story you know yeah. Sergio um I was curious since you talked about it you know the quote about it the record being the injustice for all of hardcore that being said right that's the album with no bass what tracks or track or tracks do you feel like super happy with or represented on where you're like you listen back to it and you're like that's great I love that oh everything the whole album cool I think for me you know like um making records at the end you know like often the songs are new and and they haven't really uh gestated you know in like a way where you're touring on them for a couple of years before you record them and have a chance to grow they're very new you're recording them early in their existence and i often find myself afterwards being like oh what i could have done better and then caught up in all the things that could have been better and then with distance, you kind of forget about those things. And I can listen to it. Like, I remember like when I heard it with uh, like fresh ears without all of the things I would have wanted to do and then just really appreciated it. And so I don't have anything that's like, 
oh, I wish this was better or this really nailed it. I just think one of the things I appreciate about our band is that um, we, it takes a lot for a song to live. And especially back then songs died and ideas died and it's very hard for something to get heard. And by the time it gets heard, it's well vetted and, and I back it and we all back it. So that's, uh, you know, to a certain degree, I think there's a, for me, there's a higher degree of confidence on everything by the time it's heard by anybody. I, uh, I agree, especially then, you know, there's just like a very small, like kind of pinhole that we would get our, our music through. (laughs) But I think in this record was cool that um, there, there was a, there was, because we were jerking around so much with it, there were certain things that happened more spontaneously and in the groove, like the song Skinny, for example, was just like, uh, you know, just really come up with live in the studio and uh, and and it's such a cool, interesting, I mean, you know, I, I think it's an interesting song for us and um, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Like that was not like a rehearsed thing. Um, mm. I, I love those, those moments. Uh, you know, and, and I think there's a few others like that that we just kind of like. Thorn of my side was kind of last minute. Yeah, thorn of my side was kind of last I think minute. The hard part you can tell. You know how I can tell which ones were last minute because there's not like, I mean, it's a little bit harder. That like that, I like that energy of those stuff, but with drums it was harder back then because you were stuck with one takes. So oh, like wow. if you didn't have down like a kick snare pattern or something, like it would just like all of a sudden there'd be something different for one, you know, one little pass. Uh-huh. I forgot what you you know like you hadn't ever practiced really rehearsed it enough to play it consistently. So I, like it was cool that like they had all this energy, but like the guitars and bass and everything you could overdub back then, but you couldn't overdub the drums. So if you came oh, up wow. with something in the studio and you just like you know banged it out, you were kind of stuck with that one take track. And some of those that's what I, I remember that record in particular being like ah, I would have done that that one again, you know. Or like I think that. that's some really cool shit for that. Like, I love the uh, the fill in uh, in Thorn in My Side, you know, where it's like goes the, the band, Thorn in My Side. The fill in that pocket right there is yeah. just so kind of like, I just don't even understand how it lands, but it just, it just works so I think, well, I think that's like, a, yeah, it's like, a, that's like the, that's like the magic of doing something last minute. Yeah. Like, oh, we can do this. Let's just get in there and do it you get some shit that you wouldn't normally play but the the downside of it is you also get some shit you wouldn't normally play that isn't that great you know uh-huh. like so i feel like you know it's like a, always a trade-off now you don't now you can do both because yeah. you, can, you know you can just overdub draw you know if, there, if you get a great take but there's one thing fucked up you can just you know fix it play it again mm-hmm. and that's fun. can you talk a little bit like there's one thing that i think gets a little lost in the sauce when we start dissecting stuff is that as a listener, I'm making an assumption here, but I think if you're going to name your last track, it would be cooler if you did. There's a level of humor to the record and all the song titles yeah. seem to be like in jokes or things that like you're trying to decipher as a listener. But I think humor is a great device to, to kind of cut how serious something can be. And maybe you all could talk about it or go, you know, song titles you like or whatever, but I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, I always think that, uh... I think there's some, I mean, I'd have to think about the lyrics, but I'm always like trying to put funny things in, in the lyrics. I mean, the, the first thing in, um, on our EP, like um, on uh, Unfulfilled, I use the word excrementable. Like people are like, that's not 
not a word. It's like, dude, I know it's not a word. I made it up. Like, that's the joke. And there's other like little things that are funny within the, the songs, even though the, 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 um, you know, overstating certain things, you know what I mean? Like some of this stuff is like, you know, um, heavy subject matter, but like, um, but to, to make light of it in some sort of way. And I think like, um, yeah, it'd be cool if it is obviously a, a reference to uh, Dates and Confused. Um, and yeah, I think if you the artwork too, like, and even the title, Manic Compression. I mean, to me, as I remember, it was really the title's just like, how, what are we gonna call this crazy sounding album? Cause it yeah. sounds so compressed. It's like, we have to somehow- It's like owning like, it. Yeah, like we meant to, you know- Owning it with a joke. When when PB Herman's riding the bike and he flips over the 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 uh, in the yard and then he gets up and he goes, I meant to do that. Like manic compression is like a kind of I meant to do that kind of thing. And in a sense, it it really works because um it it it's a mood, you know, and yeah. and it's and it's a vibe and uh and and it's like, but it's funny too, you know, and and the characters on the front of the record, like they're kind of in a one way, like kind of like, you know, Hellraiser, Pinhead, scary. But in the other way, they kind of seem like a fun bunch of guys, you know, yeah. like they're kind of, they're kind of cool, you know, you could get used to them, you know? <laughs> um, uh, so I think that that's always, and you know, we're, we're like, our vibe is, is, you know, is, is a, a lot of the time, you know, kind of a lighthearted vibe. And we, we would um like East third street was just where Sergio was living at that time. And mm -hmm. uh, I think the song is written, the lyrics, I think were kind of more serious than that. Like they were kind of written about, um, you know, there's some political sort of bent to it. And uh, there a summer squatter lyric in there too. Yeah, and maybe a little bit assholeish, uh, you know, like you know, like there was like the kids who hung out in Tompkins Square Park, but they'd always disappear when it got cold. That's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> so I mean, that's kind of a reactionary kind of song, but even though that's something that you know people would talk about at that time to be annoyed at, like these like kind of fake squatter kids. Um, but uh, East Third Street just was kind of like sweeter title, and like it, it's more. Um, it kind of just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if it's an inside, it's not a joke, but it's just kind of like, uh, that. that's one of the, the, the uh, but then there's other titles like uh, Divorce, which I think is pretty harsh, but like, I really love that song. Yeah. It's like, uh, and I think the lyrics are really good too. They're like pretty, I mean, you know, whatever, I'm tooting my own horn, but they're like, um, they're just sort of like pretty straightforward, but but um, have, have like, um, a cool, uh, you know, um, coming from divorce. I think a lot of people from like our world come from broken families, especially if you were born in the time that we were born. There's like lots of, you know, broken families and uh, it has a mosh part. It's fucking great. <laughs> well, Brian also, it's a pretty funny title too, actually. I'm not sure where that comes from. You said Brand Gargantuan? Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty funny title. I'm not sure. It what sounds like a weed strain. What's and that the about? The lyrics are heavy on that one too. Oh yeah, yeah. You motherfucked yourself again. That one's pretty deep. <laughs> um, uh, I love so, the use of profanity on this record. Yeah, I, I, it's tastefully so done for sure. I, I touched. I touched on it when we did the um, the playlist, and I was saying about how, like, you know, sometimes 
I think it can be it can be super like overdone, like to be shocking or whatever. But just the way that it was like um, just done so sparingly, like it's in this and Landmine Spring. Did I lose you? Okay. Um, and, and Landmine Spring, yeah. Like it reminds me of um, I used the example of the cure, like on the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me record like when Robert Smith in the first song drops, you know, the F-bomb, it's so much more effective than if he was saying it, like, you know, every six lines or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. A, a nice, a, a curse is, is, you know, they're good You get, when they're used effectively. Um, Brown Gargantua is from a movie that I liked when I was a little kid, uh, The Battle of the Gargantuas, and there was the, uh, it's there's two brothers and they're kind of like these big, um, you know, they're kind of Godzilla sized, uh, you know, kind of mammals like giant sort of like furry mammal giants. And um, one is called Brown Gargantua and he's the kind of the, the one that lives in the mountains and is kind of chill like Harry and the Hendersons. And uh, the other one is Green Gargantua and he's just like more nasty, likes to hang out in the ocean more and like drinks up like just you know waste toxic waste and he's always pissed off and it's got like a Cain and Abel kind of uh aspect to it where they battle and brown gargantua tries to chill out green gargantua and um I don't know if that the lyrics tie into that too much I think I just probably went with like what the music was making me feel but um uh that that's the reference of it and I guess it's kind of obscure in a way but not if you're into like those kind of um you know, monster movies, which we've kind of like re, re kind of gotten into with, uh, with distant populations, you know, it's, it's kind of come full circle with that. So I wanted to um, talk to a little bit about, you guys made some music videos and also the, the, uh, there's on YouTube, you can see a TV, uh, you guys did John Stewart show, you did Thorn on my side, uh, Thorn in my side. What was that like? Fun. Uh, the videos were dope. I I, uh, I live not too far from Wall Street area, and uh, I you know I was the, there's a ferry out to uh, the beach, and I was uh, uh, nearby, and I and I was by there. So we had we were out there for Thorn in My Side video. We uh, were like just riding go karts in Lower Manhattan, yeah. like it was, and it was like all blocked off, and we got to ride go karts in like Lower Manhattan. I don't know how the hell that was. That was a real that was just treat. hooked it up. <laughs> yeah, it was freezing as it was so cold that day though. So it was yeah. like it was uh it was fun. Stay that long. It was, yeah, I remember the John Stewart thing thinking. being pretty great. Like kind of it fit the manic compression theme too because uh it was super manic. Like we had I think we had a show that night. Yeah, I think oh, we were wow. playing at Roseland that night, and uh and so we had to like rent gear to be able to do it because the other stuff had to be there to play that night. And we had to like run and do a sound check there and then like run back and do a sound check at Roseland and then go back there and play the show. And I was just like running around all day doing that shit, but it was cool. Did you talk to them about city gardens at all? You know, I didn't know until they did that uh, documentary about city gardens that he worked there. I would have, uh -huh. <laughs> like I saw, I saw that. Remember there was a, a, a documentary about city gardens yeah. and in it. And he, yeah, he was bartending then. That's amazing. Wow. It's funny that he didn't mention it. I didn't drink. I was straight edge, so I never went near the bar. I didn't know him. 
Yeah, but I didn't know him either. But wouldn't you think he would have mentioned it? Been like, you know, like when you, like he when bands came on that had played City Gardens, you would think he'd be like, "Hey, I work there." I don't remember really talking to him too much. Just like uh, said hi, I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we like. I mean, he was cool. You know what? He actually we had um, Dominic. We had some friends in in common, so we're like, "Oh yeah, you know him. I know him." Uh, he was nice though. So I mean, obviously, he's he's a cool guy. Um, yeah. and it was fun. We were on TV. And we played the Roseland. We were like balling that. That was a fun. Yeah. That was a fun uh, day. I just I remember the look on the people's faces in the first row at this show. They were like, because <laughs> <laughs> he chose one of the more like aggressive songs to play too. Like you know, Thorn in My Side's pretty, pretty aggressive track for sure. I mean, that was the single. That was yeah. what we're dealing with because uh, you know. Um, Shovel was just too poppy. We couldn't handle that. Yeah, why would you? Yeah, why would you do that? That would just be not cool. Like Shut so, you we were going with the one on my side. That was you know best foot forward. What was the touring like uh, once the record came out? What was like? What do you remember about that? Uh, I remember being uh, liking the. Um, I guess we did our own tours, which were really fun, but we got on with offspring spring for, for two tours yes and that was i don't i think as we got fans from it it was sort of like an autopilot kind of thing where we were just playing short set to kids that maybe a lot of them was their first concert you know mm -hmm. um and we were getting a great reception every night but it was it was pretty easy like we pl probably play like 40 minutes burn through it they had awesome catering. We were on a bus. It was sort of like a little bit, I think probably, you know, in retro, I think the record label was wanted us so badly to go on a tour with like a popular band. Like to me, or I think to all of us, like, okay, Offspring got mad respect for their, their, their songs and, and they're fucking totally cool to us. But, um, you know, we would have been, you know, we, we would have been more psyched on like maybe some other kind of like, we would love to open for the Pixies or whatever. Or yeah. Actually, I don't know if the Pixies were playing. I don't but think you know what I mean? there would have been other bands where we maybe would have thought would have been. You know, like that. Oh, that I, the, uh, I remember thinking like, uh, what are we doing? We're kind of wasting our time. Because like, it didn't seem like, it just seemed like a bad match. Like they, you know, the kind of kids who were going to see him at that point were just like too young and too, you know, like you said. You I know, hear that too. They went them over. I don't think we were winning people over like in significant numbers, but I think, you know, and it's like, it's sort of like a thing that we have going for us that is like, you know, good, good or bad is that I think there's certain heads in that offspring audience that were like, um, that were just going to the first concert and their, uh, their, you know, their minds are just kind of like blown from that moment and they kind of get mm -hmm. into other stuff. So I think, I think we got some, some fans, but to some degree, it was maybe like a lateral move. Like we might've been better off, like, um, especially in Europe, I think we kind of like, didn't really tour there uh, too much um, besides that. So I think it's kind of a missed opportunity, but otherwise we were doing good because we had a good following and we had played so much on Slip that we were just doing well and, you know, uh, on our own but i think we we're probably like a bit burned out i was gonna say we were pretty burned out man by that <laughs> yeah. point like on each other you know it was a lot 
I think by that point. Yeah, but definitely the Offspring tour. Um, I listened to uh, your interview, Walter, on 100 Words or Less, and uh -huh. the host, uh, Ray, uh, Ray, he had said, like, he was a kid, I guess, really, I mean, I think we're about the same age, he and I, so he's like a 13, 14-year-old kid, sees the Offspring, sees you guys open, and is like, becomes a fan, so I do think there's something to that where, you know, when these bands get bigger um maybe they're not introducing you know like like you mentioned nirvana like i'm of the age i've mentioned a million times on here where like that's what got me into underground music so maybe the 10 million people that bought nevermind didn't buy you know gluey porch treatments by the melvins but a couple hundred people did you know and, and i think those people that, are usually the heads that like do end up having a podcast you know the people that are like looking for that sort of thing like that wasn't our marketing strategy or anything like that but yeah. I, I took that away as the the um the, the plus of it like um uh you know that that we were we were kind of blowing some minds in that atmosphere and i i thought for like a, this sort of like you know this like sort of new pop punk popular world um the kids just still jumped around and went crazy to us i don't know if it would have mattered what we played but they they were just having fun anyway so those guys were I, super I, cool I, though. they it, loved us you know what i mean but it was maybe a little and they were super cool to us yeah they loved us they, like they, they also were like the night they, they might have been like the nicest band to tour with in terms of uh that situation they were just like really bent over backwards to make it uh, mm -hmm. a good tour for us and they were huge at that point. I mean, I don't know yeah. how. Yeah, like it was kind of like they had just kind of become huge. Like, uh -huh. right? Like some, I remember that they like the venues weren't a lot, you know, some of the, like we played like, remember playing like one arena in like Detroit, maybe we played Cobo Hall or something. But most of the venues, like they were just like, they sold out in like two minutes because they, they had been oh, wow. booked before they had the big hit. Isn't that right? Like they, I, I'm pretty sure. Like the like the the venues were like kind of two like two to four thousand because they booked them before they had the huge yes event. yes and then so yes. and then like a few of them they moved to like a, you know like that one, oh. that one in Cobo Hall was like that's like a legit arena and I think they probably could have yeah. been playing like arenas on the whole tour if they had, we probably uh, toured with uh, we probably toured with Helmet too on on Manic Compression is my guess too because they were, I remember touring with them when they were on Betty. We did Helmet. some. We did some shows. I don't think we did like a full tour. Like I remember playing in Buffalo with them at like a big like Armory show or something. So maybe we did like a leg or something. Mm -hmm. I remember being in the South with them and Rob being in the band. I think we we did some yeah. some significant touring with them. Um, which yeah, was to say, Rob cool. was in the band then from you know straight ahead and everything. Was, yeah, so I remember. Then. I remember being. Uh, I think it was us. Helmet and Orange Nine went on a run. Oh, uh, really? Oh, right. Damn. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Orange Nine it wasn't were a full tour, but it was like it was more than a week. It was like a, a good chunk. Yeah. Man, good lineup. <laughs> so, so, actually, speaking of, of lineups and touring, you guys did the first Warp tour on this record as well. Oh, that's right. Um, like one, what was that like? And two, at the time, did you have any idea that like the Warp Tour would just become this like phenomenon that happened 
every year for the next, you know, over two decades at that time, because it was the first one. Definitely not. I didn't. It seemed like it was so, it was so like last minute put together that I remember every night thinking it was miraculous that the that like the, they were able to pull it off. Like that that dude. What was his name? Kevin Lyman. Lyman yeah. Dude, like he was just running around, like freaking out all the time. Like something was they, they didn't have electric or like every night it was like this might or might not happen. And it was fun though. Like a lot of skaters fun. were fun. Like they were super cool. Yeah, and was that where you met uh, seaweed, Alan? Like where you first? No, those guys had opened or... for us on uh, Slip, I think. Okay. Yeah, they opened a whole tour for us for Quicksand on on the Slip record. Oh wow! Did uh, uh, but it... there were a lot of cool bands on that tour. I remember, like really, really fun, cool bands. Did the did the tour end? Was that sort of the end of Quicksand 1.0? No, no, no it was, uh, we did a tour. We were in the middle of a tour with uh, I think this band Smile and mm-hmm. Siv were, were on the tour. It was like, yeah, we did most of it. We didn't finish it though. Oh, wow. I, I think I saw that tour. It played the 930 Club. I saw Quicksand and Siv at the 930 Club. Yeah. I can't remember if Smile opened up. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was on the beginning. Maybe that was the beginning of the tour. I think the oh, last wow. show on that tour was in like LA and okay. we had like it was kind of like I think we were really burnt out, and like the the South laid ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> like like uh, nope, three weeks nope. in, the, you know, like oh cool, we're in California, and we're going to Texas, and then we're going to fucking like Alabama and shit. Yeah, the show I saw was awesome. Cool, quick yeah, we were so. playing really good at that time. Yeah, I mean, you, like in hindsight, we probably could have just taken a little break. Yeah. But, you know. uh, before we stop talking about manic compression, I wanted to talk briefly about Walter brought up the artwork from Melinda Beck. But how did you link up with Melinda to do the artwork for this record? And then as far back as Moondog, how did you link up with her? You knew um, her, right? Through uh, Marcos, maybe? I knew her through, um, I remember meeting her at ABC No Rio. And I think maybe she did a flyer or something like that. And uh, I knew her boyfriend, Jordan, is up too, but um, I think she did a flyer or something that I thought was cool. And so I asked her to do something for initially was Moondog. And then when Quicksand was playing, um, I asked her to do something like a T-shirt or something. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, the initial artwork for Mana Compression was just like creepy clown which jesus christ i'm so happy we didn't use that <laughs> uh, it was like my idea like there was this cl- like across from the mixing place that you guys were, we were talking about earlier there was this like old-timey like novelty uh sign uh-huh. and uh, I, I thought it looked really cool in a kind of like and again i was listening to blast too so they had put out take the manic ride which was also like kind of had a clown vibe yeah and um Jesus Christ, that was really bad. Uh, and I think there might have been some proofs done of the clown cover. Dude, do you and, have it still? No. Okay. Not. Uh, but then, then it was like, okay, so what are we going to put on the cover? And we all, Melinda had done t-shirts for us. We all like, it w- was an easy a, a thing to agree on that she, whatever she would do, we could get, we could back. And, yeah. uh, and, it, and, and so, you know, I think the cover is awesome. I really love it. I think it's like, like I was describing before, it's just, 
it's got this like scariness, but there's also a certain sort of cuteness to it. And it kind of shows this, gives a suggestion of this world where these little freaky guys live and this kind of music is playing. And um, I don't know, that's how it, how it hits me. It, it just, I think it kind of like, I, especially then like album artwork really contextualizes the whole experience. And I, I think she's, she's great. She still does great artwork. Yeah. I love her. She's an illustrator yeah. and does stuff for the New York Times, right? Uh, she does New York Times and just all kinds of stuff. She's, uh, you know, uh, I, she just did this really big, um, I saw on her on Instagram, she did this like some huge mural that is, uh, I think it's up in DC and it's like really big. Um, she does, yeah, a lot of like, um, like for op, ed, op art, you know, like for like an, an editorial or something like that, you know, she'll do stuff. And her husband, uh, Jordan's a great artist too. And he does, he does the similar kind of thing and um, mm. very, very talented uh, couple. Yeah. I saw so the, Jordan did the artwork for the Hot Water Music record that you produced. Oh yeah. Did he do that? Yeah. No. I think so. it's got that similar style to it. If it's not him, it was yeah. someone that was trying to emulate it. I think it's a yeah. similar yeah. style. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Way to go, Jason. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Those great, all the great bad trip stuff. That's where I first saw his yeah, work. That's trip. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, Jason. You know, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, thank you. I wanted to ask, I guess, before we get to Hot Tracks, the last thing, the reason we're here doing the podcast, this LP, the vinyl was on Revelation. Um, was that like, did you know immediately, like, hey, when we do the vinyl this time, we're going to do it with revelation rather than, you know, slip um, had vinyl, but it was done by, you know, the same by Polydor. Um, like, how did it come about? Like, was it a bit, was it difficult to get the label to let you have rev do the vinyl or because it was the CD era where they just like, yeah, whatever you want. I think kind of like that. And also I think they, at that juncture, like, you know, it was, it was a sort of a time where, um, people were just starving for credibility, you know, like, cause all these bands have, had just sold out. So they were still trying to like keep it real with, with the, the DIY thing. And so Revelation was our roots and, uh, and the record label didn't really see vinyl as like, uh, as a, as a moneymaker. So it made us happy. It made that, you know, they didn't really give a shit. Yeah. And, uh, it's cooler. It's cooler to, to touch that. You know what I mean? That we still had a connection to our, you know, our, our home, home team sort of. Yeah, absolutely. Plus you knew that you would do a podcast and 26 years later <laughs> talking about <laughs> it. In the little action time. <laughs> You're like, just, you had that incredible foresight. Yeah. To be like, I didn't know better put this that right. we talking to, but I knew that this podcast would exist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, well, I know Walter and Alan, you've, oh, Jason, do you have something else? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, you guys have, this isn't your first rodeo. Um, so Sergio, what we do at the end, we, we go over, um, we call them hot tracks. You just pick a favorite song on the album, whether it's one that's just a favorite for you to play live or just the, to listen to, or you remember writing or whatever. Um, and I'm going to, for the first hot track, I'm going to go with Anthony, our special guest, put him on the hot seat first. Hot tracks! Yeah, sure. I'm going to 
Well, I talked about this on another episode, but I, it bears repeating. I'm going with divorce just because I love, I love the entire song, but I'm going to re-reference it that as a kid, the cover of Van Halen Fair Warning was so gnarly to me because there's like one homeboy just like mashing the other dude on the cover. And yeah. in the verse, I just feel like Alan's doing that to me. It's just fucking like that spaz energy, but so rhythmic and awesome. And then, yeah, it's got like all these different elements that I love about Quicksand in one song. So Divorce, my hot track. Nice. Good choice. So let's go with Sergio. How about you? Mm, delusional. And mainly because we rehearsed it today and it's something super fucking heavy. Was it, it um, Anthony, was it you that said, who was it that said it has almost like a heavy, because I, I get my interviews mixed up, that it has almost like a heavy Beatles come together vibe? Yeah, come together vibe. Yeah, that was like that something you? I got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Can't that's you see that? Up. I can totally see it. Now that you say it. Dum, 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 yeah. Dum. Like in a, in a, in a good way, but definitely. I love the <laughs> um, Jason, if you would have told then we would have taken it off the record. <laughs> this was hard for me if it's my hot track time, but I'm going to go with Landmine Spring. It's just got a good groove to it. I love the pace of it and I love the simplicity of the lyrics, but they're effective with the curses and with the there is no pain in death, it only hurts to die. I think that's an awesome line. So that's my hot track. Nice. I'll, 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 should I do mine now, Jason? You think? Yeah, it was a hard one to do, but. Yeah, it was it. very hard. I figure it, depending on when asked, I could probably pick different, but I also have to double up with uh, Pops and go with Divorce. Um, I just, I said when we did the mixtape episode and I picked Divorce, I said to me, that song is like the blueprint for Snapcase, Progression Through Unlearning. Like, I feel like that song, which I love that Snapcase record, by the way, that's not a, a slight, but I just think that like, they, it's almost like after they did their first record in seven inch, like they heard that song Divorce and they just wrote a whole album of songs kind of structured like that. A whole album of divorces. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's tight, but I just, I love the breakdown. I love the idea, you know, that this was like, Slip was a successful record, major label debut. And then you have this weird, more dark, aggressive, like, like you know, Walter, you mentioned at the beginning with like Nirvana with In Utero, or even thinking about like Green Day following up Dookie with Insomniac. Like this was kind of like that, like having this, you know, that song's dark and heavy, but fast and has a breakdown. What more could you want? A oh, cool. Yeah, so divorce. I'm trying to think Alan. Alan, like how about you? Uh skinny. Like I just love the immediacy. It's like that it, I love that it just came out as a thing in the studio. And it just has like a, that frantic kind of like falling apart energy. Yeah. I like the lyrics are great. It's just a great song. Yeah. I love the bass on that song. Exactly, yeah. It's like 
as soon as like it, it's almost like it's like one of those bass riffs where like if I played bass, that would probably be like the riff that I would play anytime I picked up a bass. Like you know how yeah. everyone kind of has that like test riff, like that would probably be it. Here right. sound check. Hey, uh, can we hear the bass? Yeah. That's you. Every time. It's really just like I like that it's just like uh it's basically just like a bass and drum jam where it stay, you know, the bass stays pretty consistent through the whole thing, I think. Or like one part. Just yeah, it's just like and then the drums, the drums just move around with it. And then it was just like well, you know, going in and 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 putting like guitars on top of that existing thing. And then like, like there was no it was all done, I think, in the studio. Then, like, then you figured out what to sing over it. Like, there was no. Uh, it's kind of like a song that just took shape organically. I like that. I mean, that's the ultimate expression of uh, "never cheat a groove." I love the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I love how it just came together with. Uh, I don't know if the if the trying to stick the jack into, into the guitar, just it created this really cool effect. And when the bass came in, and it was so. The, the song just like dropped in our lap. Like, it, I mean, I guess it's not like the most complicated song, but it's like all feeling, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I, and the, I love, um, yeah, that it's, there's just a lot of more than any other song on the record. That's like very, has a spontaneity about it that I, that I really love, but so you guys already picked that one and then you guys picked divorce. So I'm left with like the singles or the, or the, the, just like, or even double up. Just pick, a, just pick a single or an obscure one. <laughs> I wish I could pick, uh, if I can pick Shovel as like uh, uh, the, the hot track that never was, I would pick that one. Um, shit. What's, I guess I'll have to go with, uh, just to represent the album. Uh, Thorn My Side's a good song, guys. Come on. It's cool. Yeah. It it's is got Frank Argancho is a good song, too. I like yeah. that an awful lot. Shit, I could have went right? super genius too. That's Blister's a sick song, also. Yeah, damn it. I'm gonna go throw it in my side. There's a reason why why that was a single. It has the cool like, and the the um, I love the um, I love the uh, just that that it's 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 just quicksand. It's just a very direct, simplistic. It's one of our only songs that has like a hop like that to it. So I think mm. it really has its own lane for, for our catalog or our avoir. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I also think um, I really love the um, like the the the, the movement of, of the that like little dig -a -dig -a -dig -a -dig -a part along with like Sergio's like kind of descending bass line, which is just like it's such a cool thing to um, like anybody could you know like. It's just like a basic rhythm thing. So you're playing the the instrument like a like a rhythm, like almost like a like a rhythm instrument. I mean, obviously, a guitars and basses are rhythm rhythmic instruments, but um, you know, I'm playing harmonics and Sergio's playing like just like this sort of like. It's a schmear. It's a schmear. <laughs> it's a literal schmear. Schmear. <laughs> <laughs> with like two chords like it's a it's the whole thing's a schmear with a couple chords thrown in the middle <laughs> and uh and and uh, and and the breakdown is good the cursing is good the um uh i'm really i feel like i'm making a strong case for this one i'm i'm going with it oh yeah my side. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it covered once 
in a bar when I was traveling on tour and someone this band was playing it in the bar and I bugged out. And I was <laughs> I was like equally grateful and kind of bummed that they missed the whole schmear. There was no schmear. They just they they focused on the riff and without the riff, it, it didn't have the it didn't have the harmonics yeah. or and it was oh, so yeah, fun. that's an essential part of it. Like, yeah. that's like I wanted, to, I wanted to I wanted to be like like freaking Kanye or like or like Harris when you get on the stage and you're kind of like, hey, hey, wait, let me uh, <laughs> yeah, let me just hear. Well, thank you. <laughs> that All video right, looked man. super fun too. It was it was one of my favorite videos that we did. Uh, yeah. You know, because it I, and you know at that time like everybody's video was like, uh, you know, some sort of. Um, uh, what do you call it like a kind of like satire of something yeah, you know yeah. and so um i thought it was kind of an inventive it wasn't exactly satire but it was like uh it was just an interesting like no one else made a video like that it, and for us it was like cool to get out of the you know quicksand is cool because it's got this like heaviness to it and like not only in the in the the you know heavy guitar you know rock and roll side of it but you know just in in, in like this the lyrics and all that kind of stuff and 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 uh, so i like the, the the lightness whenever we find lightness and i and i thought that uh the thorn in my side video is like thorn in my side it's so dire but here we are riding around in fucking go-karts i i love that that juxtaposition and uh that one with that one was fun and the green it's very um and it's this isn't a slight it's very 90s like it is like a lot yeah. of that era of videos like i'm just thinking about so many we could name um of just that kind of stuff and it always it really is one of these like when i see that video or you know some of the other ones of that era it takes me back it's a good which is a good thing yeah. it's nice i know javier also loves that video but uh yeah. walter why were you playing drums in that video uh because it was just like a long day oh we were playing in our friend's apartment and uh yeah i just like playing drums and alan was cool enough to let me play and they got nice. made it video so that was uh that was i was playing guitar too and alan was playing oh guitar. sweet nice see how wacky we were back then we're in <laughs> instruments. anything it was anything goes it was the 90s <laughs> it's also crazy that that was marcos's apartment that was possible for like a starting up kind of struggling filmmaker to have that giant ass place back then. Oh, dude, but with four or five roommates, so. Whatever, even that, okay. though, like four or five, you could get four or 500 roommates now to be a struggling artist <laughs> yeah. in that place. Yeah. So. Yeah, I um, wonder who lives there now. They, they gotta be. One person with a lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> yeah. He's so, never there. Um, so I wanted to, if, if we could, um, you know, thank you very much again for speaking with us about manic compression. Um, this is another one we've been excited for since we started the pod, seeing that it had the Rev Star. Um, but I wanted to talk about the
Okay, so do you guys do you want you want to know my hot track? Yeah, of course. I think that it's also Thorn in My Side. Great song. With a runner-up of uh, Landmine Spring. I think the vocals on Landmine Spring are very urgent. It kind of reminds me of uh, Everything Has Its Place. Is that the name of the song? Everything Has Its Place? Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, the Rival Rival School song, which is another one of me it's my one of my top five walter songs um and i love I mean, the every, way isn't everything has its point right yeah you're right yeah 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 so but landmine spring it kicks off side b and i love how it's like and you you y'all talked about the pixies dynamic of the loud quiet loud and i love how landmine spring starts out with the quiet guitar and then as soon as it kicks in, it's like, bum, bum, bum. And also, I've used this term before. There's daylight in between the notes. Like there's, Sergio's not playing too many notes. It's, and, and he's really following that kick drum. Like that's a fucking rhythm section on, on that song. And uh, it just, I, I'm stoked just talking about it. But the driving of thorn in my side and how Walter was talking about the, like the harmonics. What did he call it? The fucking. Yeah. Weed a weed or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and Alan's story about seeing the, uh, the cover band playing it, but they weren't playing those harmonics, which is like such an integral part of the song. Wait, was it Alan or Sir- was it Sergio? I, thought, I think it was Alan, but it's uh, been a while, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I love manic compression and I have, often been a champion of saying that this is the best quicksand album i don't know if i believe that anymore uh after listening to quicksand so much and talking about quicksand so much i it might be slip but man it's you'd be right then it's so tough because if well if manic compression sounded like slip exactly then it would be the superior album because i believe that the songs well i believe that as a whole it's a better album as as a whole because i still believe that slip doesn't end on a strong note i think that it it really fades out and 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 drops off and the use of the the um instrumental on there i don't think that it's a strong a strong track so if manic compression didn't have that compression, yeah, right. If it, had, if it, if it was just called manic, <laughs> or if it was just called the clown record, no. <laughs> Walter was talking about the clown artwork. Yeah. There is a T-shirt with that artwork out Saw there. It. Saw it. Yeah, so it's out there. But let me ask you this: Would you want a thirty-year anniversary remix, remastered version of manic compression? Yes, I would. That doesn't have that compression. Yeah, if it was thick, yeah, thick. I think it just, just to kind of like, like not to, not to replace the original, but like I like um, when to, to, <laughs> that also wasn't a glitch. That was a stutter. Um, I also like when bands kind of do that and remix as long as the original still there 
it's almost never going to be better. There's a few cases where I, I prefer a remix to uh, the original, but we won't talk about that now. But like like a couple of years ago when REM did um, Monster for the 25th anniversary, they... Some kind uh, of monster? No, 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 not, not it's Monster. I would say delete that. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, they they were never super happy with the mix i think they thought like the vocals were too low and there was a lot of parts where they did a lot of like tremolo like kind of like the my bloody valentine thing jason you know what i'm talking about so scott scott lit the original producer and mixer he for this deluxe reissue did like a new mix of it and uh it's cool it's because it's different it doesn't replace the original but i would love to see something like that with manic compression i think that would be a neat like compendium piece for the 30th anniversary they with did shovel yeah. with shovel yeah with shovel great idea yes and, and maybe uh, even maybe even shovel like integrated into the track list yeah. for the like have it like well a i don't page. know because look at what morrissey did with his uh when he did the reissues of like bone a drag and maladjusted and he fucked with the track list and it fucked everything up or when he did viva hate and he took out uh ordinary boys and put like some weird demo Uh, yeah no maybe not in the track (laughs) imagine if they did this here's the wish list you get a double you get a double lp Uh you get a shirt with the clown on it it's a yeah Uh here's the here's my deluxe super fan bundle okay you ready Mm -hmm. you get manic it's a (laughs) gatefold lp you get manic compression as is not remastered nothing just the standard uh, LP, and there's also a, there will be a single LP version for people that just want the LP. Then LP two is this remixed, remastered version. Mm-hmm. The, thir- the you know manic with, thirty we'll with a, um, a single a seven inch inside that's shovel on yes, one side, with shovel on one side, and a shovel remixed on the other. Or what's a what's what was another? the B side for? For divorce, I'm oh yeah, or the uh, uh, was it voice I don't remember. Killer? It's not in front of me. Quick, it might have been voice killer. B-side. It might have been voice killer. It's not We're in front checking. of me. Demo seven inch and B. So Chelsea's going under voice killer. Yeah, yeah. So that's what Chelsea's you took- going under was a was a manic compression B side, right? Sure. So we'll do that. Shovel. It's a seven. You get a seven uh-huh. inch with it. <laughs> And you uh-huh. get the T-shirt with the clown. Yes. And LP comes with like a thick book. Well, with, uh, I'm just going to say I, I'm go. waiting for my package to come in the mail right now. <clears throat> yeah. So hopefully yeah. when that order. happens. I would order, order. for sure. <laughs> um, let me tell you something. Yeah. They should probably get I, it pressed now for the way the vinyl pressing works. Correct. I learned a couple things during the course of the interview. One, I completely thought the song Brown Gargantuan was about someone giving birth to their child and then hating that child and not about uh, Harry and Anderson's monsters. (laughs) And two, I'm so surprised, and I should have thought about this at the time, that Quicksand was influenced by Greg's favorite band, Nirvana. I don't know why I ever didn't piece that together. Because now when when you, like, if you think about it, Manic compression is a lot more aggressive than slip. It's more yes. aggressive, but it's got that compression. 
Right. But but, but, it's, but also it's a lot more manic like, aggression. It's more abrasive. Yeah. It's it is sort of like how with you know, you had Nevermind was like the slick, you know, rec rock record or whatever. Yeah. And then you had in utero was noisy Gritty. and raw and yeah. Um yeah, I, I was even I was surprised. And now I hear it and I'm like, oh yeah, like yeah, you probably just, have heard that and we're like, yeah, we should kind of do something, you know, in that spirit. Just like that fuck you spirit was what was that's what was happening in the mid nineties for sure. Yeah. For bands that run majors. But uh if you want to play a fun game, you can check out a Daisy Chainsaw song called You Be My Friend, and then the Iggy and the Stooges song I'm sick of you to check out some Thorn in My Side influence. Kind of has the same patterns to it. Hey, I want to tell you that on March 24th, 1995, I saw Quicksand, No Use for a Name, and The Offspring at the Brent Event Center in Irvine, California. How was it? How was Quicksand? I'm pretty sure that I watched Quicksand and then did not watch No Use for a Name. Hmm. And then watched a couple songs of Offspring and then bounced. So I pro- I saw Quicksand at the Warp Tour that year. And then at this gig. And then uh, didn't see them again. Till the reunion. Until the reunion. Until they play with Glassjaw mm. as, as a three-piece. I feel like I saw them play with Helmet also, but I, I, I don't... I think that's some sort of Mandela effect. Manic compression. Also, I heard like helmet, you know, a little bit too in the, yeah, you know, in the music. Um, but not, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool record. I just, I do wish, um, I wish there was a way to hear, like, like we said, an alternate universe. I don't want to erase what we have, but I would love, a you know just a different a different version yeah just be awesome to to hear because who knows it could be a careful what you wish for and you hear it and you go oh no i like i like to yeah you know hey hey, listen on i'm on this website called Mm concertarchives.org never heard of it but there's a couple really interesting (laughs) gigs um so also in 95 quicksand went over to europe with offspring right okay Manchester Academy gig was with Guttermouth, hometown oh, wow. heroes here. The uh, program Skate and Sound in Fullerton around the corner. There's a barbecue, a Korean barbecue restaurant called Mr. Barbecue, which is named after a Guttermouth song and it's owned by the singer of Guttermouth. Mm. I'm really assuming good. no vegan options there. Mm, no. Because I, I remember they were very. Uh anti-vegan vegetarian yeah and anti-straight edge i believe um it's saying that they played rock am ring 1995 in germany with but i i can't really confirm that but it's oh yeah listen to some of these bands the pretenders uh hootie and the blowfish quicksand played with the pretenders (laughs) hootie and the blowfish faith no more danzig this is europe uh, clawfinger Bad Religion, Dave Matthews Band, Ugly Kid Joe, Bon Jovi, and Van Halen. That was Europe, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Then they came back here the next month, another show with Offspring and Wax. Uh, I'm I remember, remember Wax. Wax. Remember that video 
with the guy uh, Spike Jones did it. It was the the guy on fire, and he was just running down the street. It was like I don't in slow that. motion. You don't remember that? Uh uh-uh. uh Yeah, check. It. It's on YouTube. I actually thought about that video within the last year and saw it. Like the song's not very memorable, but the video. Also, at that show was uh, the Vandals. I like the Vandals. I believe they they wrote the best song about Orange County, California, about my hometown. What song? Um, Pizza Tram. Go back and I don't think I know that one. It's well, sorry, sorry for you. But that gig (laughs) was at was at the Olympic Velodrome. I've never heard the Vandals. What? You've never heard Anarchy Burger? Never. Uh, Okay, so I think I think the Vandals in 2021. If you've never heard them. If you just picked up an album, I'm not sure you would make it through the whole album. If somebody made you like a best of list, they got some hot tracks. They yeah, really for do. sure. Like I have I a like date, Josh Freeze. Uh Anarchy Burger. Yeah. Pat uh, Brown. Pat Brown. I want uh, to be a cowboy. Oh, dude. Dudes. Fuck. The movie Dudes. Great I remember the movie, movie. Dudes. <laughs> Great movie. Flea is I in not, that movie. I have not thought about that movie. Probably <laughs> <laughs> it's on, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. I used to rent it on, on VHS. Oh, that's um, good. So then, uh, anyway. Oh. Yeah, so th- this concert archives. It, Does it have the DC show? Which one? Quicksand Civ at the 930 Club. When was that? That was in 1995. I'm not sure when exactly it was. Mm. Yo, I went to the show. L7, Tree, and Orange 9mm in Massachusetts. That's a show right there. Uh, Quicksand, Dandelion, Civ in Boston. Okay. Uh, And then Chicago, they played with Smile. They played Smile. Like he said. Um, Yeah. There was a, let's see. They played with No Doubt uh, in Asbury Park. Um, huh. They played with Quicksand, Deftones, Pitch Shifter, Molotov was a few shows. Um, that was that 1998 tour. I don't see the one with Civ in D- D.C. here. Okay. Uh, it was sick. X-Fest, 1995. Bush, Material Issue, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Dude, I love Material Quicksand, issue. Sponge, Sugar Ray, The Toadies, and Weezer. That is a fucking 90s concert. Yeah, I've ever heard one. Holy shit. Ned's Atomic Dustbin. I, I love Ned's Atomic I, Yo, dustbin. I love Ned's. Same. Okay, but, okay, but listen. Yo, here's um, a... Can we do a quick... I'm going to do a quick... Is this a, this is a, an episode of... Uh, where it went, where we deal solely with the Ned's Atomic Dustbin discography. Um, uh, first LP is great. The other ones are all right, but nothing true. beats that first this is, one. This You're talking is, about uh, Godfather? Godfather, Godfather yeah. is amazing. Are You Normal has a couple jams, but it's otherwise... Cool, um, but I always listen to Godfather. Godfather yeah, is Godfather's almost sick. no skippers. Plan B um, video. There, I don't think there are skippers on there, are there? Um, Not to my knowledge, I, I would say it's a it's a. There's a couple songs that are like, eh, yeah. I'm like, whatever. Yeah, it gets um, a little stale. Sometimes. But there's but there's some good good tracks. Also, two bass players. Is there like, really two bass players? You didn't know that? Ooh. Yeah, no, you I didn't don't know, know why. That. Yo, there's there's some footage on YouTube. Maybe I'll drop it in our Discord. I think okay. it's like '94. Them playing at Castle Donington, and the the footage is only like 15 minutes long. It oh, is please do. fucking unreal. 
the, the energy like that they have. Them, right? So crazy. And I've been told that they come from like uh, just a shit part of, of the UK. Like mm. basically it would be from like fucking Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, you know, just from the middle of nowhere. And they just happened to create this like scene. And um, I went on like a real deep Ned's Atomic Dustbin dive one day there used to be like a video show here in Orange County where you could like call in and talk to the band and they would like play it live. And there's an episode with Ned's Atomic Dustbin and it's fucking sick. So I'm at, wait, huge... I think I've seen that. Is there like a, is there, is there a woman? A woman, a woman is DJ? interviewing them. Yeah. 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 I, I went down. Yeah, I think hole. it's called request video even. And um, did you there's a lot of good. Ever? I did not ever see I did them not see them for either. some, for some reason, but I I've own... always been a huge fan. I own three to four of their shirts, but I've never seen them. <laughs> Yo, they have so many Dude, shirts. So I tried so hard Unreal. to get Strike Anywhere to remake their shirt because they're playing the Fest in Florida. And I my I proposed them making the shirt that says, did you miss Strike Anywhere symbol, the back big, then you fucked up. Uh-huh. Like the Ned's Atomic Dustman shirt. Yeah. That was well, my weren't they the, idea, one of the but... original like merch? Like they were like... A huge huge merch Yo, they got the puffy so, merch they got the puffy print yeah they got puffy print i got a vhs that came with a shirt and a hologram sticker mm. all in in one package and um that was probably like I, I don't even think i was old enough to drive yet when that happened you know that's i have been a, a, a i love that album yeah they're, um, they're fascinating to me because to like i didn't hear them until years later but like they have like the energy of a hardcore band and like kids would stage dive. Like do those guys come from? No, I don't think so at all. Or no, mm-hmm. I don't know. They just were doing their own thing. You know, some of it almost seems a little bit like that Manchester mad Chester yeah, scene. Like a little bit, yeah, a little yeah. bit like EMF, you know, uh, like but almost cool. ravery, but then like, like heavier like they took like turnstile they took a fashion from someone else and melded it with hardcore and then made it their own thing i think that's kind of the ned's atomic dustbin story yeah yeah because yeah, they kind of like i feel like for a long time i didn't bother with them because i assumed that they were kind of uh like even though these bands aren't bad like in fact i listened to the emf album the other day i found the cassette of at siren mm-hmm. records for mm-hmm. two bucks unbelievable to it that's unbelievable and, uh, it was unbelievable find but i assume they were kind of like one of those jesus jones emf yeah. and jesus there's elements jones. of it that really are yeah yeah some soup dragons in there maybe i saw the soup dragons bro hey i'm gonna shift gears real hard right now i got like in the uh thorn in my side yeah i'm I'm walter driving through the streets (laughs) yo listen i got a text this week from our dear friend bedge and he said what was the first revelation records cassette ever yeah like what's the first record they made on cassette so so i started thinking and numerically gorilla biscuits seven inch right mm, the ep because okay. there is a cassette of it but i don't know if that came out chronologically so what did i do i hop on the horn with jordan cooper i sent him an email i said hey jordan we have a friend of the pod reach out and ask a question 
Rev 004 is the first release in the catalog that has a cassette, but was it the first release to get a tape, if that makes sense? Most of the other seven inches around that don't have one, but the GB record does. So if you think about it, what else around 004 has a tape? Side by Side doesn't have one. Chain of Strength doesn't have one. No for an Answer doesn't have one. Warzone doesn't have one. Does Bold? So so he responds, hi, Javier. The cassette came out much later than the 7-inch. I believe the way it is, break down the walls and speak out were the first on cassette. Mm. I got an email story after we're done. So I, I was just going to remind you, Jason. Thank you. Is so what I is it what I'm thinking? The way it is, it is so 007, 008, and then 009. Is that break down the walls? 09? Yeah. Yeah. So speak outs 09. So they didn't start producing cassettes until their seventh, eighth, and ninth release. And also eight and nine were the first release to get a compact disc. Together. Mm. Together. Together. The, the way bold, it is. the bold break down the walls. Yeah. So that's yeah. your that's your cassette collector corner shinfo bit at bow to Bedge and bit at bow to Jordan Cooper. What do you got, Jay? So when we were preparing for the episode for State of the Nation, uh Jason Farrell, guitar player for Swizz, awesome graphic designer. He did the artwork for the State of the Nation record. And so I emailed him to ask him about that. And then I also said Pops brought up, and we didn't get to ask, about a rumor that you were asked to join Quicksand. Is there any Me? truth to that? Not you, Jason Farrell. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, I was asked to play in Quicksand twice, once in 1990s, just after Swizz broke up. They asked me if I might want to join. We hung out and talked about it in their apartment in the LES near the Williamsburg Bridge. Obviously, Tom was not home. They didn't end up kicking him out. <laughs> it says they didn't end up kicking Shame. him out at that point, so nothing came of it. By 1993-ish, they were choosing what major label to sign with. This time, they had already kicked Tom out and asked me to join. They had just done their killer Dine Alone 7-inch, but didn't have any other songs. I played with them a few practices over a week, went back to D.C. to think it over. They were ready to go record and tour, but I decided to finish out my one and a half years of college they didn't have anyone else in mind, so they let Tom back in, and then they recorded and wrote Slip. Wrote Damn. and recorded Slip. So that would have been sick if Jason Farrell was in quicksand, but Tom Capone is Tom Capone, so. Yeah, it's, okay, like, so, it's another one of those, like, what if. So sonically, yeah. is Jason Farrell, would he have had the same kind of weird, noisy no. stuff that, that Tom Capone did? No. Jason Farrell is uh, a great guitar player. But he's he's more like riff based, mm. wouldn't you say, Jace? Like he does he a lot of cool. He does a lot of cool um, melodic. He's yeah, got well, like I'm, a, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to. I'm struggling to come up with. It's just different, you know. I'm gonna have to take yeah. your word for it. But then he also, he has a different style. Last last fun fact, he said I never recorded anything with them but I did a four song project with Sergio and Alan in 1994 or 95. We did a four song demo, but never finished it. Oh, Get the man. fuck out. I would love to hear that. Same. Yeah. What do, Same, what do you, yeah. Uh, that's, that's crazy. Uh, was yeah. it just them three? Did they have a singer? Did they, I mean, he, they, obviously yeah. he's saying that we they recorded something. You might have to, we gotta know. Just... Yeah. Jeez. 
I, I, I wonder said if I it was in the blue tip vein. Like, I wonder if it was kind of in that. God uh, damn, with Alan Cage on drums. Yeah. Mm. It's one of those classic, one of those classic what ifs, you know? Yeah. What would have happened? Slip, Slip would not have sounded the same without Tom. No. I was watching some of these videos. I went down a rabbit hole watching videos from this era, 1995. Fuck. They were on fire. The band was just oh, yeah. awesome at that point. They had been well, touring so much. You could just tell. That's what I was going to say. Listen to what Javier, um, listen to what Javier was saying earlier with all those, like they were on the road nonstop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much like the show I saw, which was September 21st, 1995 in DC. And one I of the went. last shows, wasn't it? It was. That's what they said in one of the other episodes. But that was the show that sold me on you can play guitar and sing at the same time and still be fucking awesome. Mm. For some reason I used to think, Oh, the singer plays guitar. I'm, I'm bored. You know what I mean? I wanted to see people go crazy and be up front and get in the mic and shit. But that show people went crazy and it was awesome. Um, but Walter's just charismatic. So it was cool. Cool then. And cool. When I see it tomorrow night. Well, Jason, what do we got on the next episode? Shit. Next time we're talking about the State of the Nation LP, State of the Nation, Revelation Records number 44. And I feel like we can say next week because we're, we got one's coming out. Yeah, we don't, we don't have any surprises coming up. <laughs> and can we tell who we talked to? We talked to... Kick it, yeah. <laughs> you want to kick it or no? We made, yeah, it, not? They made it this far. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, we, we talked to... I know we usually don't announce, but... What the hell? Once in a while we do. We've done it before. Yeah. Um, we talked to all three members of State of the Nation. We talked to Rob and Mark Hayworth, who played together in Hard Stance. Um, Rob was a founding member of Far Side. He plays on Javier's favorite uh, Far Side album, Rochambeau. Uh, Mark Hayworth, who was in Inside Out, Gorilla Biscuits for a while. Um, and then Andy Patterson, who does... Uh, you know, he's been in some bands and he also does a lot of engineering and producing. He recorded the new Iceburn record he mentioned in the episode when we talked to him um, out there in Salt Lake. And uh, it was a really fun conversation. There was, you know, we did touch on the other bands mentioned. So like there's there's talk about, you know, Gorilla Biscuits. There's talk about uh you know, hard stance a little, rage against the machine, all that stuff. So yeah, it was cool. I, it's not one to be missed. Um, how many times do you think I'm gonna mention that I saw State of the Nation? Oh shit! Did you? Yeah, I did. I'll have, to, I'll have to find the flyer. It was, was that it one. Was quicksand it? rage? No. Iceburn? No. Whirlpool? No. Okay. It was at the old world. You know what? I'll fucking save it for the yeah, episode. Yeah, save, save it. it for the yeah. but yes. Yeah. I did. I did see State of the Nation, probably nice. around ninety four. Okay. Mm. Yeah. But uh, on all my right. end, that's all I got. Stay tuned next week. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bow, bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Dustin Perry, Jeremy Holohan, 
John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Maddie Cox, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you would like more information about how to help us out every month, visit www.whereitwentpodcast.com. You'll find that information and other cool stuff. Bidipo.